be up in the youth room with Mr. Luke. The rest of us, we're going to continue as we're getting near the end of the book of Ephesians. So if you'll turn to chapter 6, we're going to begin reading at verse 10. We're going to cover verses 10 through 13. We're not going to get very far this morning, but it is a very, very important subject that we're going to be talking about. Of course, everything that we read in the scripture is important. But chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, we left off at verse 9 last time as we do verse by verse study of the scriptures. As we go through a book of the Bible, we begin at the beginning just as we did with Ephesians, and then we go through the chapters and through the verses till we finish it. And that's the way that I believe God intended it to be studied. If you need a Bible to follow along with us, just raise your hand and Pastor John will slip you a Bible. So Ephesians chapter 6, again, we will be reading at verse 10 as we begin this morning. And Father, we do come to you and we ask that you would help us to right now be attentive to the things that are written here because we know that as Paul wrote this letter 2,000 years ago, it was a letter not only for this church, church at Ephesus, but it's for us here at Calvary Chapel today, for all Christians. And Lord, may we be attentive, teachable, Lord, um, humbled before you. May we be uh, ones that uh, we want to keep distractions to a minimum. And Lord, we uh, ask, we just ask that, help us remind us, uh, for example, turn off ringers on phones, just get settled into our seats. And um, we only got a few minutes in your word. And uh, this is food, spiritual food given to us, and encouragement, instruction, and edification. So, Lord, bless this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So you recall that when we opened up the book of Ephesians, Paul the Apostle in about 54 AD, he goes up into Asia. He'd been wanting to go up into Asia times before, but the Spirit forbid him. But on what is called his third missionary journey, he goes into the city of Ephesus in proconsular Asia. Now remember that in the New Testament, when you read that, that area called Asia, proconsular Asia, it's not talking about Asia as we usually think of geographically. It's in the Far East. But what it refers to is that area that is called Turkey today. So Paul goes to that major city of Ephesus. He's making tents. He's supporting himself. And he begins to give the gospel. And as he does, uh, the city is turned over to Jesus Christ. Many are getting saved. There's unusual miracles and, uh, that is, Paul is performing, bringing healing to all kinds of people, as we read in Acts chapter 19. And during that time, he's in the city of Ephesus for a total of three years. He was in that city longer than any other city that he would spend time in on his missionary journeys. In those three years, in two of those years, because there were those that were getting saved, there were men that were coming to the school that was called the school of Tyrannus. And there Paul, as you recall, he would say to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, I did not shun to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So he's teaching them the word of God, and those men would go out throughout Asia, and they would plant churches. We know that uh, the churches such as Philadelphia and Pergamos and Sardis and uh, Laodicea and Colossae, those churches would be established not by Paul the Apostle, historians believe, but those coming out of that school. So a lot of fruit is, is being produced. Uh, those coming to Christ, not only in the city of Ephesus, but throughout Asia Minor. And you recall that even though there was revival, at the end of that three years, it was the silversmiths that were losing their business. They were 
were making these little idols of Diana. It's an ugly little thing. They, they excavated some of them. But as they're making these idols, people stopped buying the idols. People were coming and they were burning their occultic books and, and getting rid of all that stuff. And as we know that they would write against Paul the silversmith, the whole city was in a riot. And then Paul was forced to leave Ephesus as he continued on his third missionary journey, as you move into Acts chapter 20, he would go up into that area of Greece, the northern part called Macedonia, where Philippi was, and, and Berea, and Thessalonica. He would go to Achaia, the southern part of uh, the country where the church of Corinth was. And what he desired to do was to take a collection from those churches in Greece, and then he would move over uh, and travel to Jerusalem for the feast, and he wanted to give that offering, that collection that he had gathered in Greece to the saints there in Jerusalem because they were going through famine. They were going through difficulties. As you move into Acts chapter 21, as many of you know in our studies of Acts or your own studies, that Paul was wrongly accused of bringing Gentiles to the temple in Jerusalem. And so the whole city began to riot against Paul there in Jerusalem. He's taken into protective custody as the Romans grab him. And that would begin a series of legal trials that he would go through that takes you to the end of the book of Acts, where Paul would, as a Roman citizen, appeal to Caesar. They said, to Caesar you shall go. And so at this time, Paul is in Rome. He's chained to a Roman guard, and he's writing to this church at Ephesus to the Christians there. And as I mentioned, it's not only a, a letter to them, but it's for us here at Calvary Chapel today. Is he's inspired by the Spirit of God, takes pen in hand. And he begins to write to them as the book of Ephesians is divided very nicely into two parts. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Here are all the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ that come from Christ. And as we looked at that, it was a tremendous blessing. Very important for us to understand the privileged status that we have as Christians. The spiritual blessings that are ours as Paul takes us into the heavenlies. And then as we went into chapters 4, 5, and 6 now, the second part of the book of Ephesians. Here are the blessings found in Christ. Now this is how you live for Christ. In chapter 4 opened up with the apostle writing that we are to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called. And in the first 16 verses of chapter 4, you belong to this thing called the church. This church is a holy temple unto God. And what you're to do is keep the unity of the Spirit the bond of peace. He's given to the church some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. You see, the church is very important. It's very important to Jesus because Jesus is the foundation of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the chief cornerstone of the church. He stands in the midst of the church, Revelation chapter 1. The thing is, the church, this holy temple, living stones, you and I being put together, is very important for you and I to gather. You see, the church won't bring you salvation. As much as what we hear, you know, with uh, today, with uh, a lot of uh, what is being said by the Pope coming to America, one of the things that they don't report that he said very clearly is that it's dangerous to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That salvation comes through the church. Now, Growing up in the Catholic Church, that's not a message that is really any different than the other popes that had come before him. But here's the thing. He's on the world stage now. 
and he's getting a lot of attention, and so people are believing that. We just got to belong to the church. We just got to, to go through the sacraments, and that brings salvation. And it's dangerous to have a personal relationship with Jesus. He's the only one that can save us. And you see, one of the reasons why I give people an opportunity to come to Jesus at our services is because I don't want anyone to think, as important as the church is, that the church can bring salvation. You see, when you come to, to salvation, you're coming to Christ in a personal relationship with Him, realizing that you are a sinner in need of the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not coming to a church. It's not coming to a pastor but it's coming to Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin. We have that faith and trust in him. That's what brings salvation. And we need to declare that gospel, that good news, to a dying world and to a dark world. So the church is a place, as we come to Jesus Christ, as we give our hearts to him, that we can gather here, we can give the gospel to those who come into this place, and at other times, for example, over the airwaves, on the radio, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we need to repent and turn to Jesus and, and surrender our lives to him. But you and I, as we gather, this is a good place for you to be. Do you know that? Where you can be encouraged and edified and equipped that you can use the spiritual gifts that God desires to give to you in serving Him and as we serve one another. And then in verses 17 through 32 of chapter 4, this is what you're to do, walk in purity. Put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And then as we traveled into chapter 5, make sure that you walk in love and then walk in light and walk in wisdom. Hey, the days are evil. Redeem the time. Don't walk as fools. So all those things that are, we went through, very practical uh, for us as uh, we live our lives, as we live for Christ. And then, as you know, we continue through chapter 5. How is it that we can walk worthy of the calling in which we're called? Well, this is how you have harmony in the home between husband and wife, verses 22 through 32. And then as we moved in to the last chapter, chapter six this is how you have harmony between parents and children children you're to obey your parents and honor them and fathers verse four make sure you're taking the lead in your family you are to bring up your children in the training and admonition of the lord and then last week in verses five through nine we saw how it is that we can have harmony in the workplace that you as bond servants you be obedient to your Masters. In other words, today, the way that it would read is that you employees, that you be obedient, do what your bosses say, respect the position that they are in, and you are to please the Lord in how you serve. You are to work as though you are serving the Lord, pleasing unto the Lord, and you're not just to be men pleasers or give eye service. So we talked about those things quite extensively. You, you bosses, you make sure that you do the same, that you treat your workers with respect, that you do what is best for them. Remember that you have a master up in heaven who sees you. And so all these things that have been very important that we have discussed over the last several weeks. And now as we continue on in the last part of this epistle, we are being instructed on walking worthy of the calling in which you were called. If you're going to walk in unity, you're going to walk in purity. You're going to walk in light and love and in wisdom. You have harmony in the home and in the workplace. Know this, know this, that there's going to be a battle out there. And there's going to be a spiritual battle that you're going to be engaged in. You see, Paul, as he was on his third missionary journey in Ephesus, there was great revival, but also there was a great riot that happened. 
when he was writing from the city of Ephesus to the Corinthian believers in that first letter in chapter 15, he writes to them and he says, I faced the beast in Ephesus. And it's like, did you literally face the lions in the amphitheater in Ephesus? Or are you talking about those beasts, the silversmiths that came against you? He's forced out of Ephesus. He goes to Philippi in Macedonia. And as he is writing his second letter to the Corinthians there, he opens that letter by saying that we don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble that came to us in Asia, that is in Ephesus, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength. We were despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God. And if there was anyone that knew about battles, it was Paul the apostle. He had the whole host of hell come against him and his ministry. And all of us as Christians, We need to understand very clearly that we are in a battle, a spiritual battle, and we are to understand the instructions given to us, how it is that we can stand against the attacks of the enemy. And perhaps when when you are a young Christian, I know that it happened to me when I first got saved. Isn't it wonderful when you remember how you got saved and, oh, I'm a new creation. I have a new heart. I got a new perspective on life. You see, before I got saved, I didn't care about people. I didn't care about things. I was negative and all of this and, and, and worldly. And all of a sudden, everything was new. It wasn't that Jesus was added to my old life, but all things become new. And you become that new creation in Christ. And you're forgiven. And it's so wonderful. And, and you're just growing in the Lord. And you're hungry for the things of God. It's a wonderful time. But then all of a sudden, the difficulties came. And the doubts and the turmoils and the challenges and the trials came. Perhaps you can think about that when that first happened to you and it threw you for a loop. It threw me for a loop. Hey, I'm a Christian. I didn't think I was going to have any kind of problems like that again. I thought that now that I'm a Christian, it's like a walk in the park. You know, it's going to be rainbows and lollipops and puppy dogs and all of this. And as the pastor of the largest church in America says, that every day can be a Friday. And it's nonsense. And I think that all of us in this room, we know that to be true. We didn't realize that it isn't a playground. But we understood all of a sudden that we're in a battle that we never had been in before. And it started when you began your relationship with Jesus. And you were growing in the Lord. And what a blessing. And you soon found out that the battles would come. And you found that out. And after that battle came another battle, and then another battle, and it's been that way in your journey in life and with the Lord. That when you were saved, you started to grow and in his word and being a witness for him, used for the furtherance of the gospel, and all of a sudden the attacks came, the discouragement came. And, and you thought, what's going on? Why the attack? Why the setback? Why the difficulties? Understand this, that the enemy is not happy that you are here this morning. The enemy is not happy that you're growing in the Word of God. He is not happy that you're in fellowship with other believers. He's not happy that you who have desired to serve the Lord and the enemy, that he will, not that he might, he's going to come against you, he's going to come against your family, he's going to come against this church. Do you realize that Satan not only hates you and your family, he hates this church. He hates Calvary Chapel. 
as we're committed to the Word of God and desiring to do what is right in the sight of the Lord, as the Word of God is being proclaimed in the gospel, as, as you're serving Him here, as ministries are taking place, as the, the message of uh, God's Word and the gospel going across the airwaves, He hates this church. And He's going to do everything that He can to come against us as a church, against your family, against you individually. And so it's very important, this section in instructing us and putting on the whole armor of God so we can withstand the attacks of the enemy. So let's begin to look at this as we see that Paul the Apostle, he's ready to finish this letter. This is how you walk worthy of the calling in which you are called. Walk in unity and purity and in wisdom and light and love. Have harmony in the home and in the workplace. And then verse 10 now of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Finally, my brethren, the apostle wrapping up this letter in this section where we are being instructed on how we are to walk worthy of the calling in which we are called. Finally, brethren, and now we will see how it is that we can walk in strength. It's a wonderful exhortation that Paul gives to us. I want to close, he says, he writes by saying, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's the exhortation that we see that Paul would give to the Christians in his letters in the New Testament over and over and over again. We see it's a theme in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, it reminds me of Moses at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. He's told by the Lord Moses, you're not going to go into the promised land. It's going to be Joshua that's going to be the new leader. And so at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, you're going to lead the children of Israel across the river into the land of promise. And you flip the page, you go to Joshua chapter 1. And the Lord comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, you're going to lead the children of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land and be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Three times the Lord says that to Joshua. And at the end of chapter 1, it's the people that came to Joshua and said, Joshua, we will follow you like we did Moses. We'll heed you. We'll do what you tell us to do. But we have one request, that you be strong and of good courage. And we know that Scripture very clearly tells you and me that His will for us is that we would be strong, not in our own strength, but in the Lord. And why should we be strong? Because as we've been talking about already, that we know, and as we're going to read this morning, that we do battle. You see, being a Christian means that we do battle against the enemy, which of course means that we do battle with the enemy, Satan, with the devil. He hates you and me, as I said. He doesn't like that you're a Christian growing in the Lord, that you're being a witness for the Lord. And he's going to do everything that he can to isolate you, make you ineffective, to discourage you to try to bring you down. He will come against us. It's a word that's repeated in this last section. Against, against, against. Because the enemy, Satan, and his demons come against us. In other words, we also see throughout this section that we are to stand, we are to stand, we are to stand. And how is it that we stand against the attack of the enemy? And Paul tells us how it is that we can stand. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. How can we be strong in the Lord? Well, we're to put on the whole armor of God. And Paul will explain what that armor is fully when we get to verses 14 through 18. 
So you got to make sure you come back next week as we go over that. Or at least do a study because it's important for us to know what the armor of God is. But first, we need to be established in the fact that a life as a Christian isn't, as I said, a playground. It's a battleground, a battle that will last until the Lord comes and takes us home. It reminds me of Numbers chapter 31. That it was at the end of Moses' life. And God spoke to Moses and said, Take vengeance, take battle against the Midianites for the children of Israel. And then afterwards, Moses, you're going to be gathered to your people. In other words, the Lord was saying to Moses, You're going to die. And so Moses stood up and he spoke to the people and he said, Arm yourselves, we're going to do battle. And as I look at Moses' life, I think that those 40 years, those silent years where Moses is herding his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of the desert, he did that from the time he was 40 years old till he's 80 years old. There's no record really of, of what took place. We know he got married and he had children, but I don't think he went through all the battles that he did when the Lord then called him at the age of 80 and said, Moses, I've chosen you to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And that's when the battles happened as he was called to ministry. It was battle after battle after battle as Moses from that time on, even going to Egypt, it was difficulties and trials. As he was in Egypt, Pharaoh came against him. And as he came out of Egypt, of course, the Egyptians were going to run over the children of Israel and they parted the Red Sea. And then as they went into the wilderness, it was murmuring, complaining. Coming against Moses, it was difficulties, it was trial and battle, and it didn't end in Moses' life. And it's the same with you and me. Have you ever thought, as you went through a spiritual battle, you thought, oh, Lord, I'm so glad this is over, and hopefully it won't happen again? But it does. You see, the enemy, Satan, he doesn't come and say, you know what, I've kind of been rough on Pastor Jeff. I think I'll give him a break. I think I'll just kind of lay off till after the first of the year. The holidays are coming up, and, you know, I want him to have a nice Christmas and a nice Thanksgiving and next holiday. So I'm going to leave him alone, and I'm going to leave Calvary Chapel alone. No, he's going to look for every opportunity on every day that he has, him and his spiritual hosts of wickedness, that come against us. And it's going to be battle after battle till the Lord takes us home. And we're likened to a soldier for Jesus Christ. As Paul was writing his last words that we have recorded in the New Testament, he's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy. And he says, as Timothy was pastoring this church at Ephesus at that time, that you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So the first thing to understand is that we do battle in the spiritual realm. And if we are not prepared and armed, there is no way that we can be strong. But rather what we will find ourselves is being weak spiritually and we're going to be beaten down. So we put on the whole armor of God, not some of it. And as we go through these pieces of armor, it's very important for us to understand what each piece does and what it means to us and how it is it helps us in being strong to stand against the wiles, or that is that word means the schemes of the enemy, the devil. And we have to put all of the armor on, not some of it, because as we come out and you're doing battle, you see, Satan, he doesn't fight fair. Do you know that? 
And if you come in during your day and you're doing battle, it isn't like you can say, oh, Satan, can, time out. Can we just stop here? I forgot my helmet of salvation at home. So I'd like to go back and get it. He's looking for your helmet of salvation not to be on so he can rip your head off. So it's important for us to understand that he schemes against us, he plots against us. We see that in Job chapter 1. We see an insight to the spiritual realm. It was quite interesting. And it was Satan before the Lord. He doesn't live in heaven, but he has access. And, and as he's there, the, the Lord said, Satan, where have you been? And Satan said, oh, to and fro across the whole earth. You see, a lot of Christians mistakenly believe that Satan lives in hell. He doesn't live in hell. He's called the God, the little G of this world. He's called the prince of the power of the air is what he's called. And we know that he is one that he goes about. I'm going to fro across the whole earth. Eventually, he is going to be thrown into hell and into the lake of fire. We know that's his final resting place. But right now, he's around. And it was the Lord that said, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless. And what was the answer of Satan? He said, yes. I've considered him. That word consider is a military term. It's a term that a general would use when he's studying the enemy, how to defeat the enemy. I considered him. You see, he'll ask for you. He'll consider you. Remember that Jesus, they turned to, to Peter there right before he's arrested in the garden. He said, oh, by the way, Peter, Satan's been asking for you. And he wants to shift you like wheat. Now, can you imagine Jesus turning to you and saying, oh, by the way, Satan's asking for you, and he wants to beat you up. He wants to shift you like wheat. He wants to do you in. So he considers us. He studies us. He looks to plot and scheme and plan to try to get a foothold into your life, into your family's life, into a foothold into this church. So we need to understand as a life of a Christian and as the body of Christ, what it means that we do battle, verse 11. And then second of all, know really who your enemy is. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, Paul telling us uh, the battle that I'm going to be talking about, it's not a physical battle. It isn't against flesh and blood, but it is spiritual, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a host of spiritual forces that are organized and established in ranks under the headship of Satan, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and they are organized to do battle against you and I, against our families, against this church, this body of believers, against the church as a whole. It's kind of interesting when it talks about the, the spiritual realm, which is very real. You know, sometimes there are those who make fun of you Christians believe in a devil, kind of like a guy with a red suit and horns and has a pitchfork. It's very, very real the spiritual host. It was Elijah in the Old Testament that said to the Lord, open up you know, my servant's eyes that he can see the spiritual realm. And his eyes were open. He saw all these flaming chariots all around. And it was quite amazing. We know as we read the scriptures that angels are very real. We have the cherubim and the seraphims and the four living creatures that are mentioned and angels that stand up with the bold judgments and trump judgments of the book of revelation and we talked about on wednesday in psalm 75 
as that psalm was written during the time in history when the mighty Assyrians, the powerhouse of the world at that time, come and they surround Jerusalem. They're going to destroy Jerusalem, and they're threatening Hezekiah, that godly king. And who is your God to stand against us? Your God isn't going to be able to with, you know, stand against this great army of mine, Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, said. And, and you need to surrender, Hezekiah. Who is this God you're telling the people to trust in? Well, he found out. Because that night, the Lord dispatched one angel that came to destroy 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. So they're real and they're very powerful, just as uh, the heavenly hosts are very real. But we also know that the demonic force is very, very real as well. And they are organized. It's kind of interesting when you go to Daniel chapter 10. Then in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel had been praying and fasting for 21 days, wanting to get understanding of a vision. And all of a sudden, after 21 days, this angel comes to him and says, Daniel, I've come to you to help you, to give you understanding. And I got caught up with the prince of Persia. In other words, that's how it gives us a little insight how they are organized There's a prince over Persia, that empire. And I believe it just gives us a little bit of insight that there are demonic forces that are over nations. I wonder if there's demonic forces that are over churches. Perhaps demonic forces that are over this church or trying to get a foothold or or the churches in Greeley, in Well County, whatever it might mean for us. Kind of interesting as you get those little bit of a glimpse. But... There's spiritual battle that is out there. And we need to understand it. Now, one of the things that we do here, as most of you know, but if you're new to Calvary Chapel, uh, one of the, the biggest services that we have is on New Year's Eve when I do a, a prophecy update. And I've been thinking a lot about it and just uh, looking at that because so many things are happening in this world so quickly that is pointing to the soon return of Jesus Christ. And we need to understand as we see the events that are unfolding around us, you know, what's happening in the Middle East and what's happening with Israel and what's happening in Syria and the refugees that are going up into to Europe, there's not just a, a geopolitical realm, there's a spiritual realm behind all of that. And as we see the things taking place and as you line it up with the Bible, it's so incredibly fascinating. As we see that in the Middle East, that Israel being told to us by the prophets of old that they would be isolated in the last days, that all the nations would turn against them, and we see that coming to pass. And you see, that includes all the nations, the United States. And, and we can look at it and we can say, well, it's our administration, and I understand that. But there's a spiritual dimension that is behind it as well. Because as a nation, as we're getting further away from the Lord, as a nation, then naturally that we're going to forsake, not be interested in, what God has to say about the nation of Israel and his promises that are given to the Jewish people. How he has a purpose for them and a plan for them. Has God forsaken and and cast down his people? Paul would write in Romans chapter 11. He said, certainly not. He said, God has a plan and a purpose and a future for them. 
We don't have time to go into it, but we'll talk a little bit more about it on New Year's Eve if I don't before that. To how they're going to be isolated. And God eventually is going to pour out his spirit on them. Their eyes are going to be open. And we know that in that day that Paul writes, all of Israel shall be saved. But there's a lot of turmoil and difficulties that are going to happen. And we know that Ezekiel 38 and 39 is a part of that. And we're watching it in the events that are unfolding that are happening. The birth pangs. The birth pangs. When a woman gives birth to a child, the, the contractions happen more steadily, more uh, intense, more frequently. And that's what we're seeing today. And as I've seen the events over the last couple of weeks, and I line it up with what Scripture has to say, it's like, wow, Lord, your coming is very, very near. Russia's building two large air bases in northern Syria. And they've gone from just a few fighter jets to dozens of fighter jets and thousands of Russian troops that are pouring into northern Syria. And not only that, but Iran. Iran is sending troops as well. And as you look at Ezekiel chapter 38, it's lining up exactly how God said it was going to line up. And you wonder, is this the prelude to the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39? And if you're here and you're wondering, what is Ezekiel 38 and 39? Go home and read it. We're going to talk about it. We've studied it before. We don't have time to go into it this morning. But every dot and tittle of the Word of God is going to be fulfilled. And you think how close it's coming. And is Isaiah chapter 17 going to be fulfilled? And the refugees pouring up into to Europe. What's the implications of that? And we have one who is coming over who's getting the spotlight of the world. Who's saying, you don't need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and I am the Hope to all the world, and we need to get rid of the divisions. And you're looking at the Word of God, what it says about the false worldwide church that will come along, and what's the implications, and all these things. Knows that the refugees aren't going to other Arab nations. They're going to Europe, and a lot has spoken about Europe and how they play a role in the last days. But it's also a great opportunity because missionaries will tell you that many of them are saying, we're not praying to Allah anymore. And it's a great opportunity to bring the gospel to them. But other challenges that will come as well. How's it all going to work out? I don't know for sure. And then the spiritual condition of our nation. So I look at it, and as I was praying about it, Lord, that one of the things that we see in the church today, as we see the events unfold and it's happening, and there, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu gives, he's, he's like a, a modern-day Jeremiah that's warning our Congress. He's warning the UN what's going to happen, the dangers of what's taking place in the Middle East, and this, this deal with Iran and, and all of that. It has spiritual implications to it. And you read your Bible and you read the newspaper and you're going, wow, we need to pay attention to all of this but also what's happening in the church today, the compromise in the church today, that as we are seeing and we'll discuss how replacement theology is gaining ground in the church today, that God doesn't have a plan for Israel. Matter of fact, some of the largest churches, evangelical churches that are around in this area in the United States hold to the replacement theology, which is not biblical that God's through with Israel, done with them. One of the things that we see is Jesus wrote a letter to the church, a, a Pergamus. They said, you're the compromising church. 
And you have the doctrine of Balaam, the doctrine of Balaam, which involves sexual immorality and idolatry in the church more and more as we are seeing adopting a compromise with regards to sexual immorality, right? Sexual lifestyles. Rather than standing on the truth of what God's word declares, God's through with Israel. And as that permeates throughout the church and as the nation gets further away, so wonder that we're not going to stand by Israel. But here's the other thing that the Lord really has been pressing upon my heart. And really, even over the last couple of days, in light of the recent shooting that we saw in Oregon, as the reports are starting to come out, mainline media isn't going to report it, but the reports are coming out from the eyewitnesses saying that he was targeting Christians. You see, not only is Israel going to stand alone, but you know who else is going to stand alone? You. More and more. You and I as Christians are going to be standing alone. And it's going to be, I don't know how difficult it's going to be. I, I look at that. I see what's going on. I look at the condition of the church. I'm very concerned. Listen, I love the church. I don't have a spirit of criticism and being all critical and all this, but there's some real concerns. Another big thing that is beginning to really get very popular in the church once again is what's called this whole kingdom now theology. It's some, in some of the whole, you know, largest movements in the church in America today, the kingdom now. The kingdom now theology is simply this, that there's going to be super apostles and prophets that are going to rise up in the last days, and the Christians are going to take over the world, and we're going to go in, and we're going to bring great healing and hospitals and all that, and we're going to take over the world, and then we're going to usher in the second coming. That sounds all great and dandy, doesn't it? But it's not biblical. Paul says that in the last days, it's going to be perilous times. That evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse. And Timothy, know this, that in the latter days, there's going to be those who are going to fall away from the faith and they're going to give themselves over to itchy ears and heap up teachers for themselves. They're going to be given over to doctrines of demons. The kingdom now theology that is very prevalent, that keeps coming through the church and all of a sudden rising up again, it's not true. But it's going to be difficult. So you and I, that as we are standing on the truth of what God's word, and we're going to see the first piece of armor is that we are to stand for the word of God for truth. But as we do, you and I are going to be standing alone. What's going to happen in the days ahead, I don't know. But we are in that battle. And we are to be praying and given truth and given light. And we pray for revival. We pray that the Lord pours out his spirit but we need to be ready. And I don't say these things to scare you, but to prepare you. And for us to be paying attention and to be watching and wise because there's a lot of upheaval that is coming our way. You can sense it, can't you? Christians in America are being thrown under the bus every day. And it could very well, probably, most likely, it's going to get worse. So you and I are in a battle. That's why we need each other. The battle isn't us against each other. The spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers of darkness of this age, and we need to keep that in mind. We need each other. 
And we need to be here to encourage each other and fellowship with each other and build each other up. That's what we're going to be about and be praying for each other. And I pray that takes place. And so what you and I are to do is therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. So what we are to do, knowing that the enemy is going to do battle with this, is put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day. Paul's already said in this epistle, redeem the time for the days are evil. That evil men and imposters, Timothy, are going to grow worse and worse. There's going to be a falling away from truth. That there's going to be given over to their own desires. There's going to be compromise. All these things that we're beginning to see, you can see it coming to pass just as God's word says. Listen, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. I'm just a simple Bible teacher. But God's word is true. So we're to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand having done all to stand. And what is it, the armor of God? We'll talk about it next time. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time that we've had in your word. And, Lord, very important subject that we're talking about, spiritual war. And, and Lord, we know that we belong to you, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we don't fight not for victory. We fight from victory. Knowing that Jesus disarms principalities and powers at the cross, as Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 tells us. We have ultimate victory over Satan because of what Jesus did for all of us here that are in Christ, what he did for us. So we have victory, but we still battle. And it's difficult and it's very hard. But Lord, we can be encouraged that you're our strength you're our refuge, you're our protector, you're the rock in which we stand on, and we can put on the whole armor of God. So I pray that we would, Lord, take heed to what that armor is and learn it so that we can stand. And I do pray if there's anyone here listening in live stream, in the sanctuary, out in the coffee shop, if you've never given your life over to Jesus Christ, that salvation comes in faith and trust in Him alone. You're not giving yourself to a church. You're not giving yourself to a pastor. You're giving yourself over to Jesus Christ, realizing that you are a sinner, just like the rest of us, that needs forgiveness. And Jesus provided that forgiveness by going to the cross. That's why we come to the communion table. We're remembering what Jesus did for us as we hold the elements, His body being broken his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin in this new covenant, a covenant of, of love, of grace, of mercy, writing his law upon the tablets of our hearts, making us a new creation in Christ. So for you who have never done that, coming to Jesus, surrendering your life to him, if that means anything to anyone here, will you do that right now? He's the only one that died for you. He's the only one that rose from the grave, conquered sin and death, the Son of God, because of his love for you. And you can pray, Jesus, I come to you a sinner. I confess that, that I have sinned, and I ask that you would forgive me. I believe in my heart that you died on Calvary's cross for me, and you rose again, your life knocking on the door of my heart. And I now open it up for you to sit upon the throne of my life, be my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for me. 
Thank you for loving me and forgiving me. Help me to walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And now as we come to the communion table, as the elements are handed out, I would pray you just hang on to them and we'll partake of them together.